Mariah, you're Batman. Miles, you're Joker. I'm Gordon. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, the Joker was just caught shoplifting a Mars candy bar from the convenience <laughs> store. And Batman, you're here to beat him to a pulp. <laughs> Why did you do it? I'm like a dog. Once I get my hands on a candy bar, everyone's concerned. Batman, I need I need Logan Paul's prime. I don't know. I don't know what Jim Gordon would say. I don't think it would be I need Logan Paul's prime. I need Logan Paul's prime. Uh, hello, welcome everybody uh, to the Takes It Took a Movie podcast. We like to talk about a movie. Today we'll be talking about The Dark Knight. And uh, if you like that movie, stick around. But we have a little tradition here where we talk about some movies that we've seen recently before we jump into the big movie. So if you don't like that, I don't know, skip ahead like 10 minutes or something, I guess. Miles, what have you seen lately? Hello, I watched... Uh, Escape from Alcatraz. Oh, the I'm gonna be real. Thought that I thought that was a real move. I thought that happened. I did not know it was based off a book. Uh, well, it did happen. Wait, the what? Book is probably based off the event. What the? Fuck? Yeah, he's gone. It's the, the three the three guys <laughs> who escaped and were never found. Yeah. Yeah, that's a real thing. Yeah. Oh fuck. Oh. And in today's episode been... of Miles learns history. I've, well, I've been to Alcatraz, mm. and I, it was when I was younger, and they kind of talk about... What did you do to get a sentence there? Yeah. Is it the candy bar? <sighs> I, <laughs> yeah, I saw a candy bar and maybe sort of, like, you know, killed the man. Okay. <gasps> but, yeah, sorry. honestly, it was the candy bar part. I actually got off on the murder. I actually won that one. Mm. It was the candy bar that got yeah. me. Like tax evasion. Just how they got out yeah. <laughs> exactly but i had gone there and they do a little bit about like oh this is the cell we have fake heads in there and you know, i was a kid so i was like oh it's real and then i watched the movie and it said it was based off a book and i was like oh okay maybe they just like had the thing in alcatraz to like represent like oh here's the you know movie that mm. but okay i guess it was all real I, so that's i could cool. lead you off a cliff you could yeah uh, but it was a good movie. I liked yeah. it. There's a genre of movie. I watched like a YouTube video uh, that highlighted a genre of movie that I also personally like, which is uh, he called it competency porn, <laughs> which is you're just you're just watching people be good at something. Uh, but I, I liked it. It was a good movie. Okay. Uh, for me, I'm going to talk about the holdovers again. I've already talked about it. Um I've seen it now three times, but for this last viewing uh, at my school, we had the director, Alexander Payne, and the editor, Kevin Tent, and it was really cool to hear them talk about their process for this movie and get some insight into, you know, script writing, directing, the pacing, the editing, how they come up with a lot of things, and then I got to talk to them very briefly afterwards, which was really cool. So just want to shout that out. Real neat. All right, Stefan, what have you seen? Uh, I've seen a lot. The one I'm going to talk about is a classic film that I had not seen up until this point, which is called Paths of Glory, which is a World War I film directed by Mr. Kubrick. 
about um, how this failed charge fails, I suppose. And so they want to charge a bunch of men for cowardice and then execute it. And then Kirk Douglas is like, no, you can't kill them. That's not right. And he defends them. And then things happen. And I won't spoil how it ends, but it's good. Me and Mariah had this discussion. It, it's a shame the man is so talented because he's so mean. <laughs> but you watch it in every shot. You're just like, damn, that's good. I know. It's it's kind of frustrating because yeah. you're like, he's such an asshole, but he definitely knows how to make art. Mm-hmm. But I won't yeah. uh, go into that too much because we, we, we got a movie to talk about, guys. Guys, mm-hmm. my father needs to read a movie summary. All right, so if you haven't seen The Dark Knight or you haven't seen it for a while, we're going to do a summary for mm-hmm. you to get you all caught up. And also, um, before we jump into that, so I wrote the summary. I just want to say this movie has a lot that happens. It, it's yeah, rather complicated. Does so I've cut out a lot. But that being said, there's still a lot to say. So if it doesn't really make sense, just watch the movie, honestly. There's this guy called The Joker. He wears makeup and people don't take him seriously. Then he starts robbing a bunch of banks and people start taking him too seriously. Then there's this other guy, Bruce Wayne, who's teaming up with the district attorney Harvey Dent and police lieutenant Jim Gordon to stop organized crime. As it turns out, the Joker is robbing the criminals' banks and uses this as leverage to get their help to fight Batman, but they refuse. Who's Batman? Why, Harvey Dent, of course. I mean, no, Bruce Wayne. There's a whole thing about the mob's accountant fleeing to Hong Kong, but Batman gets him back and his testimony implicates all the mafia guys in racketeering and Harvey gets them all arrested. There's like 500 people or something like that. Mm -hmm. Now, the mob wants to uh, get Joker's help and the Joker starts killing everyone involved in the case in really elaborate ways like switching out the... (laughs) Like switching out the police commissioner's whiskey for gin. Ew. I think that's supposed to be poison. poison. Yeah, gin. (laughs) Um uh batman gordon and harvey manage to trap the joker and arrest him and batman uses his psychology degree to interrogate the joker with his words um just kidding (laughs) batman beats the ever-loving crap out of him and the joker tells him that he has harvey dent and rachel dawes who is bruce wayne's long lifelong best friend slash like lover rigged to explode at separate locations and he has to choose one of them Batman goes to Rachel's location, but actually it's Harvey Dent's because the Joker is a little trickster. And the Joker takes that time to escape jail using explosives and gets all the bomb, not the bomb money, sorry, the mob money from Lou. Or Lau. Uh, Rachel gets exploded. Harvey gets half of his face burned. And Bruce gets depressed. All right, it's Mm -hmm. time. Me? Me time? Yay! One of Wayne Enterprise's accountants, Coleman Reese, uh, learns the identity of Batman and decides the smart thing to do is to reveal it on TV. For giggles, the Joker tells everyone that if Mr. Reese isn't killed, he will blow up a hospital. Mr. Reese flees and the Joker cross-dresses to to talk to Dent in the hospital. Defeated and ugly, Harvey Dent decides to flip (laughs) a coin to determine if he kills people and sets out for revenge against the corrupt police involved in Rachel's death. Joker destroys the hospital and people start fleeing the city. But oh no, Joker has somehow managed to rake even more shit with explosives, which while watching, I was like, Jesus Christ, this guy likes he does bombs. everything with bombs. He does, he does say bombs. in it with like the giant pile of money, he's like, I like dynamite. Yeah. I like C4. And he he really does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, two fairies will explode at midnight unless the occupants choose to destroy the other fairy first. One fairy is full of prisoners. 
one is full of civilians. Batman gently breaks the fundamental privacy rights of every Gotham citizen by using their phones to locate Joker. Turns out, no one explodes, no one blows up the fairies. Batman ties up Joker and then races off to find Harvey Dent, who's out killing folks. Harvey is trying to kill Jim Gordon and his family. Batman tries to stop him, just straight up gets shot in the stomach. Mm-hmm. Batman tackles Harvey off a ledge. Harvey dies, and Batman decides to take the blame for Harvey's recent killings to maintain Harvey's image. The movie ends with Batman fleeing from the police like OJ. Uh, He takes off in a white Bronco. Yeah. So jumping into this, you guys may have heard of Batman before. He's been called many things, a superhero, a vigilante, a criminal, a furry. But one thing Batman is not is unprofitable. Because in 2005, Christopher Nolan stepped into the Batman Cinematic Universe and made Batman Begins. Huge hit. Warner Brothers was immediately like, we want, we want another. And um, <laughs> more money, please. More money. And uh, Mr. Nolan was like, okay, I'm doing this movie called The Prestige, so you're just going to have to wait. Oh, wait, Prestige good, mm-hmm. though. And at this point, you might be like, Stefan. Why didn't you start with the first movie? Why didn't Why didn't you start with Batman Begins? Why did you go to the sequel? Okay, this was really long consideration because the first movie has a lot. I think the first movie could be a good episode in itself because, like, why the hell did they pick Christopher Nolan? How did they cast Christian Bale? How did they come up with the design? You know, like, the origins of the trilogy is very interesting. But the reason I went with the sequel is because I wanted to. So shut the hell up and let me do what I want to do. <laughs> hell Yeah. Going into our sequel, Nolan actually didn't want to make a sequel. He didn't plan on making a sequel. He was just going to do the first Batman movie because he just kind of wanted some money in the bank to make movies like The Prestige and Inception. But the first one was such a big hit. And then he was talking with the writer, David Goyer, who worked on the first movie. And they were discussing sequels. And he was like, okay, I could do it. Even though at this point, Nolan had never done a sequel before. So he's working on The Prestige, and meanwhile, Nolan and David Goyer are trying to assemble the core story of this new movie. At its center, they want to focus on the concept of Batman's war on crime having a negative effect. Rather than being like, oh, if I just beat up enough criminals, all the crime will go away. What actually ends up happening is his vigilantism starts attracting bigger criminals who do crazier things and are more psycho and some critics of this story look at this and they say hey this is a lot like that war on terror that the united states did and uh nolan and gore would be like no that's unintentional we wouldn't uh we wouldn't do that like i think that detracts from the story very very similar to the war on terror and we'll dive into that a lot more later just the concept oh even if they didn't mean to Considering how prominent it was at the time, I mean, it still mm-hmm. kind of is. Yeah, definitely, like, must have just crept in their subconscious as they yeah. were. Batman, you know, he's like, oh, I'm going to stop these guys. And it's like, well, you stopped some of us, which has just made the rest of us angrier. And now we're going to retaliate yes. more. <laughs> which is what we call escalation. Yeah. And then there's even the argument, because towards the end, Batman is like, oh, I'm going to use everyone's phones to find the Joker, but it's okay because, like, this is a necessary evil that needs to happen, which is very similar to a certain Patriot Act signed by the United States of America that allows them to do certain things. So, 
there may have to be a deeper commentary here into the war and terror that we can discuss at the end of our episode. But this is at the core of our story. Also brought into the writing process is Christopher Nolan's brother, Jonathan Nolan. I don't know, Miles, if you're aware that Christopher Nolan and his brother like work together all the time. Honestly, I didn't even know Christopher Nolan had a brother. Mm-hmm. And his wife often produces like all his movies. Very oh, tight. Nice. Very Emma, Emma Thomas. Yeah. She has a name. Mm-hmm. She's I really was, cool. I wanted you to say it, actually, because for a moment I blanked on the name and I was hoping you would jump in. Emma Thomas. I, I do that, too. Mm-hmm. I blank on names that I'm just like, ah, Mariah will pick it up. <laughs> so Christopher Nolan and Jonathan Nolan are working together and Mr. For Christopher is still working on The Prestige. So Johnny Boy spends about six months drafting the screenplay. And after submitting it to Warner Brothers, he spends another two months refining it until Nolan finishes The Prestige in 2006. Then the two spent another six months working on the script. So all in all, they spent about like a year and two months working on the script of this movie. Yeah, it, it, it brings me joy knowing that some people put time into the <laughs> script. Not that the other scripts weren't bad, but yeah, it's nice hearing that it didn't take someone like a fucking Tuesday afternoon to write a banger. Yeah. Are you talking about like John Hughes just like yeah, dude. <laughs> just banging that shit out in like a coffee, the Coke and coffee donut, you know? Yeah. Uh, so anyways, they've got this fancy script out and inspiration for them was crime movies like Heat. Heat was one of the biggest inspirations for this movie. Interestingly enough, The Godfather and of course, comic books, although not super crazy comic books. They looked more at like Frank Miller's work. Miles, you probably know Frank Miller better. Uh, No, he did 300. He did Sin City. He did. Oh, okay. he did Daredevil, and then he did do some Batman comics called The Dark Knight right. Returns. Okay. So they looked more at those yes. comics, not necessarily just Batman comics. I see. Okay, so they definitely looked at grittier, darkier, yes. or not darkier, <laughs> darkier, darker <laughs> comics. Yeah, no, they wanted a grittier, more like real feel. They they wanted this to feel yeah. more like a crime drama than a superhero movie. All right, then they did pick the right guy. Yeah, which I was gonna mention this closer to the end, but like the hostage videos that the Joker does mm-hmm. are like some of the most chilling scenes for me. Yes, and I'm like, yeah, that reads as like actual crime thriller, mm-hmm. not hokey superhero stuff that you'd seen before this yeah that one's with like superman and like lex luther and they turned it to something kind of intense more real yeah yeah also really important to creating our story is harvey dent because harvey is everything that batman believes a hero to be and he's also everything that the joker says can be corrupted so harvey dent is the battleground for our two characters to fight in and that is why he's two-face and i think that works very well just thematically with the story and towards the end of writing the script they looked at their script and they said this is really long this is kind of complicated we should try and shorten this as much as possible they start cutting things and they're like hmm this actually makes it less comprehensible we're gonna add more oh shit so they add more oh my god the script is longer uh but it's christopher nolan so he gets away with it but that's it's kind of his thing. That's it. So that's that's it for our script. Now we need to find some actors, right? Batman, we already got Batman. That's there's no struggle there. It's just Christian Bale's got to like rediscover the character. He's trying to put a lot of work into the Bruce Wayne aspect of his character because the Bruce Wayne, like if you've seen the other Batman movies, Bruce Wayne's kind of lame. Like Michael Keaton's <laughs> Batman, like he's hardly ever Bruce Wayne, and then when he is, it's just like he's not doing anything cool really. 
He's just a guy. He's just a guy. So yeah. Christian Bale's trying to make Bruce Wayne as a character more interesting. I did I did like the part where he's at the party and he's like, you know, trying to go off to become Batman. Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh he I like he like fucking beats that guy up, takes his gun, like breaks it apart and then like just keeps yeah, walking. He's, he's I was pretty like, sick, bro. And then cool. he goes into the room after those two yeah. people are like uh playing chess together. Yeah. Uh, also, another difference from the original film Batman Begins is they made a different suit, a different Batman suit, because in the first movie, it's very restrictive and he can't do much. And if you watch the first movie, there's only like four or five minutes of fighting in the whole movie. And it's like, obs- really? it's like obscured in darkness and quick camera pans because the man can hardly move. And it looks silly because he's it's very similar to like the old Batman movies where like he can't move his neck and stuff. And so this one, they made it less restrictive and he can move around more. So you see him fighting. more. Which, yeah, pointed out when he's like, I want to be able to turn my head. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's like the Michael Keaton Mm -hmm. Batman. Because if you watch those, it's just comical how when he turns to talk to someone like really is. Yeah. His whole his whole body has to move. And it just looks really silly. Yeah, so that's that's a reference to not only like the Michael Keaton Batmans, but to the previous film as well. And this allowed for us to see more of Batman's Kaizi style fighting, which it was an interesting fighting style I looked up, which is not old. It was made in the 1980s in Spain. And I looked it up on the website and it just it defines itself as created to act and react while defending yourself. Okay. I- I'm going to be honest with you. I did not know he was using any specific fighting style. It's a specific fighting style, but it's very vague. Any information you can find on it. Like, it doesn't tell you, like, oh, it's a lot of grappling or blah, blah, blah. The most I could find is it describes it as just, like, sophisticated street fighting. Weird. So it is just kind of, like, I don't know, brawling, but with rules, I guess. Yeah. Huh. It's a weird one. It's something that I read is used a lot in movies. Now onto more casting. We have Maggie Gyllenhaal plays Rachel Dawes, which I don't know if you guys remember the first movie well. It's a different actress. Yeah. In the yeah. first movie, it's Katie Holmes. And Katie Holmes turned down this role because she wanted to be in a crime comedy called Mad Money. I hope she's doing well today. <laughs> and so Maggie Gyllenhaal didn't use Katie's performance at all for reference. She just did her own character, did her own thing. She worked close with Nolan because it was like, hey, you're stepping into a previous existing character, but trying to do a new thing. And also, this character is really important to the story because she is, you know, the love triangle. And also her death is what catalyzes Dent to become an evil man. She's got a lot of weight on her shoulders for a small character. Now on to Harvey Dent. Let's talk about some considerations for the role. Mark Ruffalo. Mark Imagine Ruffalo. It. Okay. Okay. Leave Schreiber. Think about it. Okay. okay. Matt Damon. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, they missed it. They should have gone with Matt Damon. <laughs> you think Matt Damon's the call? Uh, I think so. All right. I don't know if I agree, but those those were some of the considerations for Harvey Dent. Ultimately, they went with Aaron Eckhart because he had a sense of heroism and Americanism, but an underlying anger and darkness, which I think would be interesting to be selected for. Someone's like, something about you, man. You've got like this darkness you, you seem, seem like a, a, an <laughs> asshole is what you seem like, like if i caught you in the wrong time and place you might kill me <laughs> you're hired aaron eckhart was able to bring to the table uh the underlying darkness and anger and he was also able to bring to the table a scrumptious quiche from his mother's recipe 
That one did not. Did that one did not flow how I planned it to. I, I like uh, it though. So we're gonna move on. Gary Oldman is in this. All right, that sums it up for all our actors. Uh, ex- yeah, except, we're not gonna talk yeah, about except for one more, and that is the Joker, baby. <laughs> I'm the Joker, baby. Going in, Nolan seemed to understand that this role was going to attract a lot of criticism that a lot of people would be very have a lot of scrutiny for this and who they casted so he was very on guard with when it came to picking actors some actors that were considered for the role were adrian brody willem defoe and sam rockwell and for a brief period of time steve carell steve carell um i'm just imagining him doing his groove voice yeah that would have <laughs> That would have been really interesting. I guess because he's like a comedian. I could see why they may have considered that avenue. And then also... I mean, he's good. He's a good drama actor yeah, too. Yeah, like but... I, I think he could have done something. I don't know if it would have been the best pick. Um, and also Robin Williams was considered. Okay. I, I can see which that. Which Robin Williams actually wanted to play the Joker in Tim Burton's movie. And it's really sad. Mm. Just a little film trivia here. Tim Burton and their casting director always wanted Jack Jack Nicholson. But Jack Nicholson didn't want to do it. And so they were like, oh, well, we're going to cast Robin Williams instead. And then when Jack Nicholson heard that, he's like, okay, fine, I'll take it. And Robin Williams found out that it was all Aww. just a ploy to get Jack Nicholson and that they, they never Aww. really intended to cast him. And so he, he, Robin Williams, after that, refused to work with Warner Brothers until he received like an apology. But anyways, Robin Williams is also considered in the role for this new movie, but ultimately they did not go in that direction because Nolan wanted to avoid any like obvious casting. I think that was one of the biggest reasons they didn't go with someone like Willem Dafoe because they're like, oh, this is something they'd expect him to do. Well, at that point, he'd oh, already but, been um, the Green Goblin, yeah, too. Yeah. So. Already, so. But, dude, Willem Dafoe as the Joker. It, it would go hard. I think he could have done it. I think he could have done d- it. I do as well. <laughs> but he wanted to avoid any obvious casting. And he also wanted to work with Heath Ledger for a long time. Heath Ledger was also considered to play Batman when they were casting him for Batman Begins. So they've already. So was Killian Murphy. So was Killian Murphy, another friend of Nolan's who we see in Oppenheimer. So because Nolan wanted to work with Heath Ledger, there was no real audition. They just kind of met up and they shared ideas. They discussed their thoughts. Heath Ledger presented his idea of the Joker as a psychopathic, mass murdering, schizophrenic clown with zero empathy. And Nolan was like, yeah, that's what I had in mind. And so uh, they casted Heath Ledger. There you go. And the announcement was made and people went nuts this was something i was not really aware of because i wasn't super into batman or anything at this time people were furious they casted heath ledger oh they they didn't the like internet it? was pissed and they were so pissed that warner brothers was like uh maybe we should pick someone else because this is going to tank the box office because people are so pissed about this even jonathan oh nolan christopher nolan's brother was like bro why, why are you picking heath ledger like this is a very odd pick people were just like not on board this is he's such a bad pick for the joker only jack nicholson is the joker jack nicholson's my joker like no one else can do it heath ledger sucks all he does is rom-coms like he can't do it so there's just immediate scrutiny but no one was like nope he's the one he's the guy i'm gonna go with him so heath ledger spent nearly a month in a secluded hotel working on his character you may have heard this the voice was mm-hmm. supposedly inspired by ventriloquists who would pitch their voice up and down. And also, 
None confirmed its thought that he was inspired by Tom Waits, particularly hmm. a single interview with Tom Waits. I think that's on the Letterman show where he, he just kind of he kind of talks like this. And he's like, well, my father was an exhaust manifold and my mother was a tree. He says stuff like that. So it's thought that he took uh, inspiration from that. One of my favorite things that Tom Waits has said is, I think maybe it was Letterman, because people consider you like an artist or musician. What do you consider yourself? And he goes, well, I'm a Methodist. <laughs> He's so funny. I love Tom Waits. Anyways, moving on. Uh, Heath Ledger also created a Joker diary. Ooh, the scary Joker diary that every guy goes, oh my God, did you know he made a Joker diary? And it had a bunch of pictures of mixed mass images and dialogue from the film it had a lot of alex delarge from clockwork orange and also okay. sid vicious oh okay mm -hmm. and strips from the comic but really you can't see the whole diary you can see a couple pages online but honestly it's not as spooky as people make it out to be it's honestly just a scrapbook an actor put together Aww. a scrapbook how, how cute and it's just got like dialogue from the movie and themes so i think people try to link this diary to being some sort of like dark twisted thing hinting at heath ledger's mental state but honestly i think i think it's kind of normal uh heath ledger said it was an exhausting experience to research this character and at the end of the day i couldn't move i couldn't talk but he also said it's the most fun i've ever had with a character and probably ever will have oh <laughs> so we'll talk more about heath ledger I think I'll leave the information we have at this moment and discuss more later. But during rehearsals, once he starts actually acting as the Joker around people, Eckhart, Bale, and Ledger were together. And after one rehearsal, Bale reportedly went to Eckhart and he said, Heath is doing something special. And everyone was going like, whoa, this guy's, this guy's crazy. Supposedly when they're doing a rehearsal for the penthouse dinner scene where the Joker comes in, Batman's oh, penthouse. Yeah. Um, it was the first time Michael Caine had seen him, like in his performance in full costume, and Michael Caine forgot his lines because he was just like, "Whoa, Ooh, holy yeah. shit!" Making Michael, Michael Caine get his lines. Actor Michael Caine go like, "Whoa!" So that's pretty cool. Anyways, we'll we'll pop in with Heath Ledger again throughout this, but which Stefan we'll, we'll, Stefan we'll was pointing out in his door. Mm -hmm. Stefan was pointing out during that scene, he said, how hard do you think it is to perform as the Joker in front of all of yeah, those extras? Because like it is a very big performance for a bunch of people on a set. Mm -hmm. And I was saying it might be honestly easier to do a character that that's, that's that big in comparison to like a smaller character and having everybody watch you. Like it might be more fun and a little bit easier to kind of lose yourself. Yeah. If you're like, I have this stage, I have a hundred extras right here mm -hmm. and I'm just going to go crazy. Yeah. It, it also probably helps knowing that we're like at least like seeing some of those extras be a little frightened of you. Mm -hmm. And also something that I think is important to note, especially when we talk more about Heath Ledger, he was not method. When when they were done shooting, when he took the makeup off, costume off, he was he was reportedly very fun to hang out with. People loved him. People thought he was cool. He was not like tormenting people on set. He camera turned on. He put on the character, turned off. He took it off. So that's also another thing to note. I think some people are like, oh my god, he went like crazy like twisted playing the joker but he i don't think so yeah if if only all the people who have played the joker were like yeah, that I'm not gifting people rats in boxes <clears throat> jared leto yeah <clears throat> now that we've got actors and we're rehearsing and blah 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 we need we need to figure out where to shoot this place uh, gotham may need a hero but we need gotham we gotta find out <laughs> yo we got, that's thanks, we gotta find out where to film this city scouting was done in liverpool 
Glasgow, London, and Yorkshire. If you guys aren't familiar with the geography, you'll realize these are all places in England. It's all over the... England. Oh, I thought... Liverpool. My my ass thought Glasgow was in Russia. Oh, did I? Well, oh, Glasgow okay, no, yeah. is in Scotland. Glasgow is in Scotland. Yeah. But Russia? <laughs> Sounds kind of Russian. <laughs> All right. Uh, Yeah, sure. But at the end of the day, nothing beats good old American Chicago, baby. We've got the Blues Brothers Chicago. and we've got John Wayne Gacy. So, so they moved to Chicago. In the first movie, it's actually primarily filmed in England, not in America. So they kind of liked the concept of moving it to Chicago because the city was different and cleaner. And they were like, oh, this kind of looks like Batman has fixed the place by fighting crime if we shoot it here. So that was one of the uh-huh. decisions to shoot in Chicago. You're saying America looks nicer than England? Yeah. You heard it here first, folks. I love you guys sometimes chicago agreed and production would cooperate with the authorities and law enforcement and blah 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 to film everything because there's a lot of effects in this movie that need a lot of permissions and permits to do we'll get into that hold on i'm getting i'm I'm, uh, hold hold the phone i'm getting ahead of myself here this is a movie how are we going to shoot this movie we need cameras it's lights action camera not action uh huh. That's mm-hmm. true. If you, you just say do action, action camera. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this movie was shot on Panavision, Panaflex, Millennium XL, and Platinum cameras. I'm not repeating that. Which, unsurprisingly, are film cameras. If you know Nolan, you know he likes his film, and they, it's a combination of 65 millimeter and 35 millimeter. But more interestingly, Nolan wanted to use newly developed imax technology which was shot he does love that imax mm -hmm, which was shot in 70 millimeter at this point imax was a baby it had only ever been used in documentaries and there was only four cameras on the planet damn oh my god wait only four on the planet on the planet i find it interesting that it was used for documentaries they did like a mount everest documentary specifically that was like really big when it came out um okay. and so christopher nolan was like if i can use it on documentary i can use it on my film <laughs> which is, is yeah christopher yeah, nolan thing. but a lot of films also don't want to use it because they were they were and still are very noisy like like actively like the camera decibel yeah, wise the camera itself is very noisy and in case someone someone who doesn't know that like the camera just goes like because it gets really hot it's really big it's got to pump a lot of film through the camera really quick very noisy so his crew, his DP, his name is Wally Fister. Don't laugh. <laughs> well, now that you tell me not to laugh, Fister? Wally Fister. <laughs> I barely know her. Oh. Wally Fister had worked on many other Nolan films like Inception, Memento. Mariah, he also worked on The Italian Job. <gasps> so he spent a couple of months learning the IMAX technology. And ultimately, this film, about 15 to 20% of it is IMAX footage. So not the entire film, just certain scenes are shot in IMAX. It's primarily the bank heist opening. That's all IMAX. The scene on the water with the sailboat, but that Caribbean scene is shot in IMAX. It's actually shot on the uh, Lake Michigan. He was not in the Caribbean at all. He was, oh, on, really? he was on Lake Michigan. Yeah, ain't that ain't that some shit? And also the hospital explosion scene <laughs> was it was a uh, was shot in IMAX. So that's pretty cool. Wait, are we going to talk about the the hospital blow-up yes. scene a little yes, bit later? We will. Okay. I'll get back to that. But uh, this makes The Dark Knight one of the first major motion pictures to use IMAX technology. And wouldn't you know it, Chris Nolan broke one of the cameras. 
one of one oh, of the God. four I I cameras on the planet he broke. He's actually broken a I, couple I, I cameras throughout that. his career, a couple IMAX cameras. How it was much did it cost? Um, so it was during one of the SWAT car chase scenes with like the Joker, and a car blew up and landed on the camera. That was estimated at about five hundred thousand dollars. Half a million dollars. Oh my! See, Stephen, doesn't that put into perspective when you broke the red camera at school? Uh, I don't think that should be on record. I didn't. I did no such thing. <laughs> I deny any accusations made, nor do I have any further comments on the matter. But anyways, just goes to show that Nolan is now nuts, goo goo gaga for IMAX and shot you know Oppenheimer entirely in IMAX. The man's crazy about it. Principal photography. We got to. We got to start filming this movie, right? It begins in Chicago on April 18th, 2007, on a budget of $185 million. That's a lot of money. The first thing shot was the bank heist scene under the working title Rory's First Kiss. It took him about five days to shoot that scene, and it kind of sucked because at this time, it took four days to develop IMAX film. So when they did a day of filming, they wouldn't know if anything was wrong until four days after. So they were just like, oh, this kind of sucks. But Nolan said, I don't care. Keep doing it. <laughs> Filming would jump from America to England and then back to America. We'll talk more about the England locations. But uh, Ledger himself filmed the homemade Joker videos. So those those videos, oh, really? that was him. He directed those. And it would be like him and that guy. Wait, he, he directed? Mm-hmm. He directed the... those. So he would direct the oh, guy, uh, whoever he's filming with, which is pretty crazy. Speaking of the Joker, I'll crumb feed you guys some more Joker information. The Joker's scar prosthetics were accomplished by makeup artist John Caglione Jr., who was inspired by a mailman he met once who had lip scarring like that. Oh, Uh really? Well, isn't it based off of the Glasgow smile? Uh, Well, yeah, that as well. So I'm assuming that mailman probably had the Glasgow smile. What's the Glasgow smile? It's when someone cuts your lip to your ear. Wait, it's a criminal act. (laughs) It's not something. Yeah. It's not. (laughs) Okay, I was going to say... It's not like a cosmetic thing people do. It's okay. You have this done. This is something someone does to you against your will. Yeah. Oh, fucking uh, uh, Payne's Labyrinth. Yeah, except it would be on both sides. Yeah. The makeup for the Joker was inspired by Francis Bacon paintings, such as the Screaming Pope, if you guys have seen that one, as well as 1920s theater makeup. There's specifically a character, uh, played by Eric Campbell from Charlie Chaplin movies that inspired the joker's makeup but the way they would do this is ledger was instructed to scrunch his face really tight and then they would apply the makeup and once the makeup was done being applied he'd relax his face and so all the wrinkles would be uncovered and that's how they'd get it and the lipstick was reportedly done by heath ledger himself so the big lipstick up and down that's that's mr ledger pretty cool right yo and finally, something that we know the Joker to do. His vocal coach, Jerry Grenell, said that Heath Ledger had to lick his lips to keep the scar prosthetics on, secured onto his lips. And so he turned oh. this into a tick of his character. That makes sense. Yeah. I knew that. Yeah, he knew that. Miles knew that. He knows everything. I he, know everything. He everything knows ever. exactly how many milliliters of pee are in my body right now. 20. Damn, he's good. All right, going back to filming... Here are some notable Chicago locations. We're just going to jump through a couple of them. The ferry scene filmed on Lake Michigan along Navy Pier. The production team could not find the right ships that they wanted to do it, so they were built atop barges, very similar to Pirates of the Caribbean. Wait, in a lake? In Lake Michigan. Mm -hmm. The entire ferry sequence was filmed in one day, 
This is the exteriors. And, oh. and it involved nearly 800 extras cycling in and out of costumes and makeup. It was a huge undertaking. Yeah, I can imagine. And the final scene where Batman uh, pinatas the Joker on top of the building was done in what was then under construction Trump International Hotel and Tower. Ooh. However, the owners refused the crew to film a scene where Batman pinatas all the SWAT team members off the side. So they had to do that on a different building. So they used two buildings for that sequence yes. to appear in one building. Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. The Trump Tower owners didn't want Batman hurting SWAT team members on that building. <clears throat> All right. A Brax Candy Factory. They make candy corn and Valentine Hearts, just where you guys know. That was on Cicero Avenue, was scheduled for demolition. And so that was the site used for the hospital scene and explosion. Oh. Since it was getting demolished anyway. Mm-hmm. It was going to get demolished. So they figured, hey, can we film it? So, you know, they dress it up nice, put hospital stuff, make it look cool. The interiors were shot in England, though. Okay, Issa had this question. Yes. The explosions for the hospital are pretty gnarly. Mm-hmm. They didn't seem like a, uh, I guess, routine or, like, professional demolition, mm. where it's very, like, tight, only destroying what needs to be destroyed. Yeah, no, no. It, they definitely beefed it up for the film. Well, because there's, like, there's surrounding buildings. Yes. <laughs> So they were just like, hey, we're going to make this shit like, pop off, and they were yeah. okay with it? Yeah, oh, okay. they were cool with it. I don't know how the Chicago authorities allowed them to do what they did, uh, <laughs> but they did. Chicago likes people to film there after doing like Blues Brothers mm-hmm. and like all the stuff that they did there, and then hearing they're, this, I'm like, they're cool yeah, they let now. people kind of go crazy. Although, although it was said that the filming of this movie like increased city revenue by like millions of dollars, so like it brought them a lot of money. But specifically the hospital scene, there's rumors and talks about how, you know, when he goes to hit the detonator and it doesn't quite go off and and people are like, oh, actually Heath Ledger improvised that and it's a really good moment. Or people will say, oh, the explosives actually didn't go off, but Heath Ledger stayed in character and he kept the scene rolling. I'm here to tell you that is not true. This is a huge stunt that was heavily rehearsed and not one step was taken that was not already planned. The biggest reason the Joker does that is because they needed to find a way to get a principal actor outside of an exploding building and into the safe zone before detonating the secondary, you know, stronger explosives. And by having him walk out and then pause, they were able to then very briefly figure out if all the charges that detonated correctly and then if the secondary charges are going to detonate correctly, and then they use that time to then detonate the second one, and then he gets in the bus and leaves. Well, that's, in my opinion, more impressive. It's very impressive. It was all extremely planned. Because yeah, instead of just like one person ad-libbing going, oh, the fucking explosion didn't work, mm-hmm. it's a bunch of people being like, okay, we need to do this stuff for safety, but still have it look good. Yeah. So it came out of necessity. It's a very good creative solution. Yeah. yeah. So that that's pretty cool. And when I read that, I was like, damn, that's really neat. Sorry to expel any fun myths about the film. Well, I think it also shows how well it worked that it just, it seems like it's improv. Yeah. It seems like a very genuine moment. So if you can manage to kind of fool people like that, it means that you've made a very good moment. Oh, hell yeah. So. Yeah. So that was, that was beautiful. That was um, special effects coordinator Chris Kobold kind of helped brainstorm that and come up with that. We're going to talk about him lots more. Chris Cobalt, you rock. We had a truck flip scene. There's a scene where the whole semi flips over. You guys may already know how they achieved this one. Basically, a giant piston is strapped to the bottom of this truck, 
It's got TNT in it. They detonate the TNT and it shoots the piston on the ground and launches the truck over. Yeah. This was problematic to do because they are doing this in the banking district of Chicago. And not only that, <laughs> but they're shoving this piston into the ground above sewer lines and bank vaults. Oh, God. So there are specific locations that piston can hit and specific locations it cannot hit. Oh, and no. And you have a stunt driver, Jim Wilkett, driving, and he has to hit the detonated piston at a very specific location, or you might hit a sewer line, or you might hit a bank vault. That is so impressive. Which is insane. And it's crazy that this is, it was a real truck. It wasn't a miniature. It was a real semi-truck that they flipped. And there was also the worry that if maybe it goes up and then falls to the side, and then you hit a building, it goes up, and if the trailer collapses, it could fall in the cab and hurt the driver. So it was an insane stunt that they, again, rehearsed heavily. And so they knew kind of precisely exactly what was going to happen before they did it. Everything went smoothly. Hell yeah. We also have the Batmobile. It's actually called the Tumbler, right? Yeah. It 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 can can go both ways. Yeah, it can go. It's like one of those toys, you know, where you like hit the wall and then it flips upside down and then it goes. Hell yeah. It's pretty cool. I don't know if Mariah, you didn't have that. Uh, My brother did. (gasps) We used to, we used to. Um, clean out our room. It had glow in the dark wheels, and so we'd shut off all the lights and oh, we'd that's race cool. it around the room. You had a good that's one. Fun. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, anyways, the glow in the dark wheels were not added to this vehicle, but Chris Cobalt. <laughs> an oversight. Yeah, an <laughs> oversight, honestly. Chris Cobalt, back at it again, was behind the designing for the Batmobile, and he made it from scratch. It is not built upon really? any existing car any existing chassis or frame of anything. It is from scratch, its own vehicle. Wow. And it works? And it works. It drives. It's functional. He remarked that he would be shot if he told anyone how much it cost. <laughs> uh, but he's, it's been estimated that it its value is about $1.5 million. That is really funny. Oh that is really funny. Yeah. Oh, my God. And unfortunately, they've not revealed like a lot of its specs or like how it works or what's in it. But we know that it has a V8 engine and windshield wipers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. You got to get the windshield wipers. Which I'm I'm wondering if that was like a safety thing or why. Oh, my God. And to real briefly, we won't go into this one too much. But the uh, scene where they're in the tunnel with the semi and the SWAT trucks, that those are all miniatures. I told Mariah this earlier, but those are one to three scale miniatures. One to three. Okay. That they drove in a tunnel, in a fake tunnel, and blew up and crashed. And they look really good. They look really I good. I didn't even know that was a thing until no, like neither did I. I a year ago. They, that's insane. Yeah. No. So it's, it's really good. Nolan actually uses a lot of miniatures and stuff. Hell yeah. I'm miniature gang. Hashtag gang gang miniatures. Miniature gang. Uh, we also got to talk about the Batpod motorcycle that comes out of the Tumblr. Oh, yes. It also flips. Mm-hmm. Which was designed by Chris Cobald again. Uh, the concept emerged from the fact that Nolan was like, hey, we don't want to show the Tumblr too much. It's going to get boring. Like, let's let's spice it up. Let's make something new. So they're like, oh, what if like a motorcycle comes out to keep it from getting stale? Stale? Bale? Christian oh. Bale was not allowed to ride the Batpod. Even though he begged and pleaded on his hands and knees, he said, please let me ride it. And they said, no, it's too difficult and dangerous to control. It was awful to drive. Like it just, it doesn't turn. It's like really sucky. The motorcycle? Yeah, the motorcycle. Mm -hmm. Specifically. The wheels are wild. They're so wide. 
Yeah. Uh, Bale got to write it like just briefly before the premiere of the movie. Like he got to sit on it and be like, cool, cool for you, Bale. <laughs> now, on a more serious note, I don't know if you guys are aware of this. During the shooting of the the Batman Lambo, as he has in yeah. the Bambo, the Bambo, as he has in all his comic iterations, they were doing a stunt where they were driving alongside the the vehicle before it crashes, and the stunt car filming failed to turn onto a service road at the end of its run, and it landed into a tree at 20 miles an hour oh the lambo no the stunt car well not really a stunt car but like the film car oh the car car with the film technician inside the driver bruce monroe armstrong he survived with minor injuries connor wickliffe a stunt technician and camera operator died at the scene oh um he had worked on many other movies he worked on like children of men casino royale he worked on black hawk down and this was just like a really hard hit for the crew to take. Um, this is something I didn't even know about. I had no idea someone died on the set. And it was very sad for a lot of people. And this did not help contribute to the negative air about this movie. After yeah. the Heath Ledger casting, Christian Bale was accused of assaulting his mother. And then Morgan Freeman got into a car accident of his own. So people were like, oh, this production's cursed. Like, this movie sucks. The reputation of this film before it's even released is just really negative. All right, we're gonna we're gonna lightning round, jump through some stuff okay. because we're gonna Good. jump over to England where they filmed a bunch of stuff. This is where they filmed the Bat Bunker, which is where he's got his car and everything. It was oh, it was yeah. just mm-hmm. filmed in a hangar on an airfield in Cardington. This is where they filmed the dinner scenes. This is where they filmed the interior hospital scenes. This is where they filmed the police headquarters scenes, including where uh, Batman and Heath Ledger have their interrogation. This was actually the first scene filmed between these two characters. Oh. Yeah, the interrogation was the first time Christian Bale and Heath Ledger were working on camera together. And uh, Bale stated that he thought it was a really good beginning scene because he's like, this really sets the tone for the characters, how gritty everything is, how violent it's going to be. And Heath Ledger would be like, hey, man, hit me. Like, hit me. Like, throw my head in the table and stuff. And Christian Bale was like, hit me. And Christian Bale was like, I don't think I need to hit you. And he's just like, ah, come on, it's all good play. He would throw himself hard. He'd throw himself against the walls and the tiles so hard the tiles would break. Oh, my um, God. And then Heath Ledger was saying he was just having, like, a ball of time in there. And apparently the two had had fun. <laughs> so very interesting scene. The power station where Rachel explodes was filmed at the Battersea Power Station in England. But unfortunately, you cannot go blowing up actual buildings. So they had to build a fake facade in front of the Battersea Power Station that they blew up. So that was just fake. You were fooled. You were fooled into thinking that was a building. How do you feel, idiots? Bad. Fooled. Yeah, I bet. The final nine days of shooting were all done in Hong Kong. And this is, they got a lot of aerial shots they had one stunt where Batman was supposed to jump between two buildings that you do see in the movie, but is CG because the Hong Kong officials were like, no, we Wait, don't. they wanted a motherfucker actually like... They wanted an actual guy to like wingsuit or like zip line between the buildings. And what the they, fuck? They didn't allow it. Uh, <laughs> which, understandable. They actually, yeah, they had, like very... Yeah. Hong Kong's um, issue was actually with the helicopters. They didn't like the helicopters being present with a man really? also flying. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that was really the biggest issue. And uh, with that being said, filming wrapped after 127 days on November 15th on time and under budget. Under, but after they spent half a mil on a car? (laughs) 
After he ruined a camera? Well, you did say the budget was like a hundred and eighty-five, thirty million, hundred and eighty-five million dollars. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Still. well, I'm assuming the camera was insured as well. But, anyways, we've got to make music. Hans Zimmer and James Newton Howard put the music together. Mariah, do you know James Newton Howard? Probably. You're gonna tell me stuff that he's he did done. Pretty Woman, and he was also in the Elton John band. Like, like he just he played with Elton John. Yeah, and he also did the music for The Fugitive and The Sixth Sense. I'm not going to talk about the music a lot, but when it's God. yeah, I, it's music stuff. We don't, there's so much more to talk about, like whatever music. The interesting thing is <laughs> they were asked to score the music based on the characters, not to the film. Nolan would just send them like pictures and clips of the characters and be like, okay, just like, tell me what you think this guy would sound like. Hans Zimmer did Joker and Batman and James Newton Howard did Harvey Dent. And they just came up with music. Sick. Now we have to very cool. move on to our post-production, which presented a very unique problem for Nolan and his editor, one that was unforeseen, which is in 2008 of January, Heath Ledger passed away from yes. an accidental drug overdose. The media, of course, was going crazy about this because this added even more to this air of, wow, the Dark Knight is cursed and, like, this movie's going to suck, like, the Joker sucked, like, what, you know, so people were just, like, going nuts about this. Regardless of this, Nolan now has to edit a film, a close friend of his who died. He says he was tremendously emotional right when he passed, having to go back in and look at him every day. But the truth, but the truth is, I feel very lucky to have something productive to do, to have a performance that he was very, very proud of, and that he had entrusted me to finish. Damn, that would be really harsh. But lucky for Christopher Nolan, he has a habit of recording all his dialogue on set. He rarely does ADR. He rarely records dialogue in post. Sometimes this is an issue. Some of his movies has really quiet dialogue because. It wasn't filmed right. Tenet specifically has an issue with this. But that helped us here because they didn't have to re-record anything for Ledger. They had it all. They were able to sort of edit the movie as he saw and didn't have to make any cuts. And uh, speaking of which, he claims nothing was cut from the film. No deleted scenes. Really? He said everything that was filmed was essential. And if it wasn't essential, they didn't film it. Yo, I like that. It's crazy, which is, I think the Coen brothers did something very similar about No Country for Old Men. Which is crazy analytical brain, I guess, to like be able to do that. I know there's, I know there's like some films where they get like 140 minutes of film or something, and it's a two-hour movie, and they they're just like, yeah, we just used every take, we used every scene. There's like nothing left. Yeah. So we've got our film. It's edited. Normally, this is where we move on to release, but there's a very interesting aspect we've got to talk about now. I hope you guys are energized and I hope you're ready because this is fun. This is fun information to learn. Are you ready? We've got to talk about. I'm ready. Marketing. We got to talk about marketing. I love marketing. Marketing. Because we have so much money in our budget, they decide, hey, let's do some marketing because people think this movie sucks or people are scared to see this movie or like, no, we're worried about the box office value of this film. So we need to boost that. So they work with a company called 42 Entertainment to design a marketing campaign, which includes some stunts such as campaign posters for Harvey Dent are put inside comics and comic stores around the country. The poster would direct you to a website where you had to submit your email to receive a pixel of an image of the Joker. Over 97,000 emails were received, which revealed the entire image, and the image was received well. So, So they were so worried about people seeing what the Joker looked like, they had to spoon feed them a pixel at a time. 
until people are like, okay, he, he looks okay. Uh, further into 2008, more fake campaign materials were distributed alongside the 2008 election. So it was stuff just like vote for Harvey Dent. You know, I believe in Harvey Dent, that kind of stuff. Yeah. At the San Diego Comic-Con, $11,001 bills had Joker makeup drawn on them and the phrase, why so serious? These were handed out to vendors because they were not allowed to throw them from the balconies. Uh, uh, so they were just given to vendors and then those would spread throughout the crowd. And then that was another marketing stunt. The most interesting one is this. One website would have images of teddy bear toys with associated addresses at various locations around the United States. See, this is what I was hoping for. People were told to go to the location and use the phrase Robin Banks to receive something. The locations were bakeries, and they would receive a cake with a buzzing Nokia phone inside an evidence bag. Those who answered would receive an advanced screening of the bank heist scene. Holy cow. That is insane. And also, you would receive a Nokia phone because they had a brand deal with Nokia. It's, okay. it's such a nutso marketing campaign. Yeah. Um, I, I really like that. That's really cool. It's well, unique. It's Batman. You have to do some kind of weird, like, IRL puzzle where they have to, like, find the audio file on this website and put it into this kind of program to get a QR code that... Yeah. It was crazy. And then the evidence bag would also have, like, a Joker card in the phone. So you got, like, a little memorabilia thing. Yeah, that's cool. And then, like, the Joker would text you. <laughs> On the phone. <laughs> uh, just text, I'm the Joker, baby. I'm the Joker, baby. <laughs> Finally, closer to the premiere of the movie, they would put a bunch of like Batman sigils all over the city of Chicago. And then the next day, they were all defaced Joker phrases Yo. or his smile. And all of this was really successful in turning the public's mind around about the film and the Joker. And it became one of the most anticipated films of the year. And so people hey. were hyped. But we have another problem. When we release this movie, we have to worry about piracy because it was estimated in the year 2005, $6.1 billion were lost to piracy. So Nolan and his team, they're like, we're going to really fight piracy on this one. So film reel deliveries were randomized. They had really detailed manifestos of like who was touching the film reels, when, why. And some theaters were given night vision goggles to spot people recording with cameras. There was like a guy in Kentucky who was caught doing this using the night vision goggles. Damn. Warner Bros. deemed it a success, stating that the first camcorder version only appeared 48 hours after its global release. Oh, my God. Which is crazy to find a victory in 48 hours. I don't know. But but still, it, the quality is so poor. Like, surely it must just yeah. be better to go it to the theater. did specifically say it was poorly lit, bad audio camcorder recording. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, like yep. who's gonna sit there and watch that? You know. Well, I know some people are, but I don't know. You're just gonna you're gonna have a better time, man. Just like go. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just go to the theater. Go steal a couple of bucks if you got it. Like you know whatever. Yeah. Back when movie tickets cost like six bucks or whatever. Yeah, but uh, our movie releases July eighteenth, two thousand eight, to two hundred and thirty eight million dollars in its opening weekend. It remained in the top ten highest grossing films for ten weeks. In total, it would gross $533 million domestically and worldwide $1 billion. So you're saying it made a profit? It did. It made a, it made a profit. It made a little profit. It was one of only three other films to do this, which was Dead Man's Chest, The Return of the King, and Titanic. 
which has since been destroyed by Avengers and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, the movie was received very well. People hailed it as one of the best comic book adaptations. The biggest critics, though, said it was too cynical and not fun. (laughs) Accurate. I mean, it's not, like, funny to watch. No, I would say it's fun, but not, like... It's it's fun. Whimsical. There's the part where Alfred is like, Bruce, I'm gonna I'm gonna put suntan lotion on these women. This part's probably not funny, but I like when Joker's in the hospital. He's trying to remember Rachel's name and he's like, uh, what was her name? And then Harvey Dent's like, Rachel <laughs> Issa liked that part too. We were watching it. It's comedic. But the Dark Knight would actually go to the Academy Awards, which is unprecedented for a comic book film adaptation. And it was nominated for eight awards. <clears throat> Visual effects, nomination, sound editing, winner, sound mixing, makeup, art direction, editing, cinematography, and leading up to the Academy Awards, there was a lot of discourse surrounding a possible posthumous award for Ledger. Oh. Wouldn't you know it? He got a nomination, making him one of seven actors to get a nomination posthumously and more than that he won making him one of two actors to ever receive an academy award posthumously which was peter finch in the network mm-hmm. Damn. this was also the first time a comic book movie character was ever nominated for a role so this was really big pop off for uh comic book stuff and now look where they are now that was a lot i know thank you for sticking around Hopefully it wasn't too bland. You had a lot of good facts. I enjoyed a lot of that. We can lead some discussions or... Let's do it. Let's lead some discussions. All right. Stefan, go ahead. Lead the discussion. I don't have much to say. but I mean, we already kind of talked about it. I think one of the most interesting aspects is the concept of this film in regards to the war on terror and escalation. And a lot of people were like, oh, the Joker is like an analog for the foreign countries that the United States has attacked the concept of like the Gotham, the people of Gotham are willing to accept necessary evils if it means it keeps them safe. And I think there's, I don't know, a lot of poignancy in that for a comic book movie (laughs) that I don't think we've ever gotten since. I don't think we've gotten anything that um, meaningful and thematically. Nope. And also I'm not, okay. I'm not like a comic book guy. So this isn't my world. This isn't my wheelhouse. But this was huge for comic book movies in the direction they were going because a lot of movies would either try to imitate what the Dark Knight did or they would directly try to counter. Specifically, Marvel would do the opposite. They would be like, oh, let's make it fun. It's not gritty and real. It's fun and like whimsical and comedic. And then DC would kind of continue to try and do the gritty crime stuff. Not to much success. Um, I will say Iron Man came out in 2008. That, I think, is fairly gritty. I mean, it opens up. Yeah, I really like the original Iron Man. Yeah. They would have been production at, like, the same time. Well, no, oh. I'm, I'm just saying that, like, Marvel wasn't always, like, as whimsical as it is now. Um, no, but, yeah, what I'm saying is I think when the Dark Knight released, Marvel kind of pushed in an opposite direction because it made it more, I, more distinct. Yeah, I think it was when second or third Thor movie is when it, it started getting just goofy. I think, too, people just got tired of being cynical and things being, like, dark and they were ready to just, I want, like, mush. I want happy mush in my brain. And mm. it's like, I want my good guys winning and going out there and 
I think Marvel really filled that hole. I was just going to say, I think now we're sort of trending towards back down to not necessarily cynical, but more introspective films. I mean, we're seeing Marvel drop off and we're seeing things like Oppenheimer and Barbie come up where it's like they're movies that kind of demand more from you to more emotionally, more, I guess, intellectually. And so I think think that Barbie is demanding more of you intellectually. uh, Well, I said emotionally. I would would also say intellectually. I would say intellectually because it's not just nonsense. Like there is a point to it. It is saying something. There is definitely like it's. It's talking to you. I don't know. I, I'm hoping we're just in a trend of like people are like, I want mush. I want I want something more substance. I want mush. I want substance. You know, like I think we just kind of go up and down and up and down. I would think so. One thing that I noted while I was watching this was the casting is very interesting for Batman. Yeah. And I'm also watching it and I was like, why did Chris Nolan do this? I mean, they're good. Don't get me wrong. But I'm like, it seems odd that he would choose to do a superhero trilogy or even just one superhero movie. And seeing the other kind of work that Christian Bale does, I'm like, why did he decide to be Bruce Wayne? And Heath Ledger, he did like A Knight's Tale and 10 Things I Hate About You. And I'm like, why is he the Joker? Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. Like all these things. Um, Very unusual cast. And to kind of piggyback off of that, I think it's very interesting, you know, considering this versus the mcu which has become so popular i feel like when you look at all of these actors who are in the dark knight trilogy they're not like typecast and if you talk about christian bale you're like yeah he played batman but he's also played patrick bateman he's also you know he's done a bunch of other things same with heath ledger same with gary oldman whereas i feel like with mcu those actors get typecast very quickly like chris evans is just captain america to me Mm -hmm. and i think Robert Downey Jr., not as much so. I think he was the perfect Tony Stark. But Jeremy Renner, he's yeah. Hawkeye. I feel like those people are super typecast and are that superhero, whereas I feel like the cast of these movies aren't necessarily just one thing when you think about them as like all the different roles that they've done. Well, it, it helps that, especially for Batman, he changes a lot. Like, we, we only ever really get three movies with the same Batman, and then they're like, all right, it's going to be someone new. Well, yeah, because so you've got I, Michael I, I Keaton, think... you've got George Clooney, yeah. Val Kilmer, Ben Affleck. Well, I mean, like, yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, so I think for the actors, it probably helps knowing I'm not going to be stuck in this for the rest of my acting career, you know? Like Chris Evans, where he's like, he has to be like, no, I'm done. I refuse to do more movies with you. Kill me. Yeah. in the movie and and i think too i think marvel kind of cultivates the the image of the superheroes with the actors right because it's it's almost like old hollywood where it's like oh look at tom holland doing this thing huh and tom holland spider-man look tom holland is just like spider-man so if i watch this video of tom holland unboxing a marvel thing and, and accidentally spoiling the movie it's just like my quirky favorite character spider-man and I think by meshing the actor and the character together, it just, I don't know, helps publicity. Uh, but also, I mean, when talking about the casting of this movie, Gary Oldman was known for playing like bad guys, you know, earlier in his career. And here he's playing a police commissioner. You know, Keith Ledger is like a rom-com guy. And even then he's normally playing like the protagonist. And here he's a crazy antagonist. So he was deliberately picking roles that they normally wouldn't do. And I think that helped the actors kind of fight 
out of that typecasting. We've been talking a lot, so I don't know if I really want to talk that much longer, but like, I do think there's an interesting air about this movie where people hype it up a lot. And specifically the Joker role has a lot of like, oh, it's the Joker. I don't know. There's like this mysticism about it of people being like, the Joker made him crazy. And like, the Joker is such a twisted character. And anytime anyone plays the Joker, it's got to be like this big thing. And I think it kind of starts with this movie. What's interesting is it's been easily 10 years since I've last seen this. Um, so I did kind of forget some of the things that happened. I will say it was a lot more. Yeah, 10 years is a long time. Uh, yeah. I, I, like, I watched it last in high school, probably. Like, and I, have, I haven't had the urge to rewatch it since, really. Um, it's a good movie. Don't get me wrong. But I just, I don't know, wasn't top of my list. It was funny, though, because when uh, Commissioner Gordon gets shot, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> they don't just kill him, do they? He's, he doesn't die, right? And I like, couldn't remember what, ha- what happens, which I thought was really funny. So it was kind of interesting to just, y- you know, learn about the movie along the way. It wasn't just a complete rewatch for me. And it's iconic. But yeah, for me, it's not like, oh, I have to watch it every year or like, anything like that. Again, I've been 10 years easily since I've seen it. That being said, also watching it, it was kind of funny to like kind of pull back for a second and be like, oh yeah, some of these things are goofy as hell. Like some mm-hmm. of these, it this is, this is a comic book movie. So I thought that was also kind of funny where it's like so serious and they're dropping all these iconic lines. And I'm like, it's just yeah. a guy in a mask and makeup around his eyes, like punching people. <laughs> I mentioned earlier, yeah, like the home videos from the Joker, I think are some of the best slash like hardest scenes in the movie, just because it feels very real, not very comic booky. I will say though, rewatching it, I kind of forgot about like the fairies being like the end of the film. I remember it oh, happening, yeah. but I don't remember it being like the end. And I feel like we don't get a whole lot of closure with those folks. Like, no. we don't get to see their reactions after they realize they're going to live. Mm-hmm. Nothing. No. It's just like Batman realizes they're going to live and then he just goes off to find Gordon. And we never get, yep. like, complete closure on that. And I'm like, I kind of wish we did. The end felt, like, a little bit messy for me just because there was, like, so much going on, which I get is the point. But Me first. I like it. Uh-huh. Uh, it's long. It's a it's long, long movie. movie. It is. And I feel like parts of it might not need to be there. You know me. I don't like longer movies. This one's not horrible to to sit through, but... Yeah, there's lots of explosions and stuff. Yeah, def- definitely there are parts where I'm like, all right, let's fucking speed it up. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. You, you do get kind of get this mysticism around the Joker and the role. Mm-hmm. And going into it, I was like, all right, I'm just going to go into it not expecting a whole lot. And then I watch and I go... He does do a really good job. He does. Like, there's a reason people put him on that pedestal. It's like he fucking crushes it. Mm-hmm. And I think based off of just like, just, I mean, everyone crushes it. I don't think there's a single person in it that I'm like, nah, they dropped the ball. Yeah. So really, my only complaint could be that uh, the movie's a little too long. <laughs> mm-hmm. That and it is just... A blockbuster so i can't you know give it a 10 because it like changed me as a person yeah you watch and you go oh that was really good and then you know that's that so let's go with like uh i'll give it an eight out of memoria 
for the people that sadly passed away. Yeah. So eight sewer line pistons out of ten. Mm. Yeah, I th- I agree with Miles. I think it's a bit long, but I think more importantly, I think it's a little bit more complex than it needs to be with all the laundering stuff and the mop. Like I don't know if it yeah, was super necessary. Um, I I don't think so. I also am going to give it an eight, and I'll do eight clown masks out of ten. Um, yeah, Heath Ledger kills it, and there's a lot of really fun moments, and it's still just a very engaging watch to be had, mm-hmm. and uh, it's cool. So for me, I I was pretty eyes on screen for like most of the movie. I think maybe there's only once or twice where I was kind of looking at something else or checked my phone or something, but like I personally did not have much issue with the pacing. I was pretty engaged the whole time. My biggest issues with this movie are plot related. It is it, it is pretty complex, although it didn't really lose me. It does feel like there's more information there than there needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it was just like the little things too, like how the hell is Joker blowing up so much stuff? How did no one know there was bombs on the ferries? How did no one yeah. find bombs in the hospital? Like, how is this happening? Like some of the just the logistics of the plot, I'm like, like no, the- I have a hard time with. The logistics of rigging an entire hospital to explode with no one knowing that's is, insane. It's is pretty it's crazy. And like, absurd. And then I stop and I'm like, wait, how does. Okay. Yeah. So some little things like that I kind of have an issue with. And honestly, one of the other things is, and this is not a new statement. The Batman voice is silly. <sighs> it takes me, it takes me out of the movie because it's so silly. Yeah, that's like, one of the things it's... that I, I forgot to like mention specifically when I said it's kind of goofy if you take yeah. a step back. But like there's times it's Gordon is talking to Dent like on the roof and Batman is just like standing in the background. They're like, Batman, what do you think? And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> like what the heck? It is, yeah. So some of, the, some of the, the Batman voice, it was silly to me. And those are really the biggest problems I had, along with just like the pacing. Yeah, the ending. I hated how the conversation between Jim and his son at the end was like, Dad, where's he going? And he's like, we have to chase him. I'm like, what? Why would you like who talks like that? Why would you say that at this moment? Yeah. Um, So just like some of the dialogue. However, a lot of the dialogue is very good. I mean, we didn't really talk about like some of the lines, you know, you either die a hero live long to become a villain or whatever that's iconic line half of the shit the joker says is so iconic like a dog chasing cars yeah why so serious you want to know how i got these scars i mean yeah my father is endless um even just you know some men want to watch the world burn like so much of the dialogue is really memorable this movie the special effects amazing yeah performances amazing the sound amazing the cinematography, amazing. My real issues are only with the plot. I think everything else is extremely solid. And yeah, I don't I have would, much issues with I would with. agree with you. So I think I'll give it I'll give it 8.2 dogs thrown into a pit. At yeah. the end of the movie, Batman is just be tossing the dogs <laughs> into the building pit. And it's so funny because he does it to every single one. It's not like only one dog goes to the pit and he knocks the other ones out. It's every dog he hits with the same special combo and he throws them into the pit. 
It was cracking me oh up. I was like, he's, I was like, stop. No more dogs in the pit, please. That's so funny. You're and so he, right. And he keeps doing it. Oh, my oh. God. He's really funny. Ah, oh, but that's, that's Batman. That's Batman, folks. Thanks for it's, coming. It's Batman. Chris Nolan. Chris Nolan, hope you're doing well in your Oscars run. Uh, you're probably, you probably are going to do well this yeah. time around. Um, uh, see, I'll see you there on the red carpet. Yeah, we'll be I there. I will personally be there. Mm-hmm. Hey, Mariah. Yes, Miles. Episode? What? Episode next? What? All right, I'm back leading the next episode, and we're going to do about as much of a 180 as you possibly can do from The Dark Knight. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to be covering, believe it or not, Mary Poppins. <laughs> So get ready. Hold on to your necks for all that whiplash that we're doing. But yeah, I'll be back in the lead doing Mary Poppins for the next episode. She's so, Marvel, right? Yeah. But until our next episode, you can follow us on social media. We're on Instagram at the Takes a Took. And if you have any emails you'd like to send us, any episode suggestions, comments, corrections for today's episode, you can email us at thetakesatook at gmail.com. But until then, stay safe, have fun, watch movies, and don't commit crime, I guess. I think that's mm. a good takeaway. Yeah, unless it's a cool crime. Unless it's a cool crime, then you get a pass. If it's for a good cause, like if you have to stop a necessary evil, it's all right to do crime. Okay, bye. 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 <laughs> Batman. No, Batman. why would Batman say that? Baba. <laughs> <laughs> Alfred. Yes, Mr. Wayne. I need you to. <laughs> Alfred, Alfred, show me this man's balls. <laughs>